Welcome to Indo-Pacific Affairs, a podcast devoted to tackling the wicked problems facing policymakers, academicians, military leaders, and others in the Indo-Pacific region. A product of the Air University's Journal of Indo-Pacific Affairs, the podcast features interviews with the top names in academia, government, and think tanks from around the region. Disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed or implied in this podcast are those of the participants and should not be construed as carrying the official sanction of the Department of Defense, Department of the Air Force, Air Education and Training Command, Air University, or other agencies or departments of the U.S. government or their international equivalents. Welcome to the Journal of Indo-Pacific Affairs podcast. I'm Captain Shaquille James and I'm here with my co-host, Lieutenant Colonel Z. Miller. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Hyun Sung Lee, a defector from North Korea. Hyun Sung Lee was born in Pyongyang, North Korea. After completing his military service in 2005 with the rank of sergeant, he was granted membership in the Korean Workers' Party. He then went on to attend Kim Il-sung University in Pyongyang before graduating from the Dongbei University of Finance and Economics located in Dalian, China. While in China, he engaged in trade and economic relations between China and North Korea through his managerial role in the North Korean business entity operating in China. Despite his family's prestigious background, Kim Jong-un's brutal purges forced him and his family to defect in late 2014. He now resides in the United States, where he's engaged with several Washington, D.C. think tanks and NGOs, serving as a consultant. He also happens to be a friend of mine. Hyung-nim, thank you for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. All right, we'll start off with the elite class in North Korea. Can you talk about the elite class in North Korea and the role that they play in North Korean society? When it comes to elite class in North Korea, I think there are many ways we can describe the groups of elites. For example, there was a business group to support regime and then authority group actually runs the country. For example, the co-members of Workers' Party. And we have military group and then law enforcement group. And we can call like elite student group as a elite class. The different groups have different roles to play in the society, but I think the groups Overall role is, um, you know, maintaining and monitor and run the country. So, you know, the business groups provide resources, financial resources to the society. And then the authoritarian group, like, um, for example, organization and guidance department is the core department actually monitor and plan for, you know, North Korean society. That's the main group to, do everything actually. It's like main power is of extra main power. And uh, military groups, obviously, uh, their main you know task is to protect the game family, not the country. I mean, the secondary is the country protection. And then, you know, the law enforcement group monitor people so that, you know, any other ideology or like prevent the culture invasion from South Korea and United States. And the elite student group is also the future of North Korea. So those elite students are be, uh, students become the core members of uh, the society. So 
basically all these groups run the country and the country's main goal is not provide a quality life to people. They want to control the people so that they keep maintaining their authority and the power forever. Can you talk about your life as a North Korean elite and what sort of privileges you and other elites had? In international community, I think there is some misconception about the elite class. So they believe that so many uh, privileges the North Korean elites have. But for me, I think it's overestimated and overrated because it's very comparison, like, you know, very poor people and then have some quality life people. So it's very obvious comparison contrast. So I think that's why the North Korean elites seems to have very uh, privileged life. But there are some class of people have privileges, like um, those families who fought against Japanese imperialism with Kim Il-sung, the founder of North Korea, and the people who fought against the United States uh, during the, the, the Korean War. So they are classified as the core member of the North Korean society, and then they got some special privileges and benefits from the government. Uh, for example, um, they get, you know, special rations and some benefits like a gift and then, you know, those materials from the government. Uh, for example, in the past, before like Ma'adius March, and then they got uh, many quality like materials from the government like a TV. They got a quality um, position and then they get a more higher position than other people. And they have an unquestionable opportunity to enter the good schools. And they have the ability to reside in capitals. And they have privilege to go abroad with government's uh, permission. So other than that, other you know, privileges in North Korea, especially um, travel across the state, across the province without uh, you know travel permission like that and that's all you know resolved by authority or you know money they just bought uh, those privilege uh, with money so uh, in the past I would say there are some privileges and benefits but nowadays money can resolve everything so those privileges are uh, reduced significantly so I don't think, you know, more and more people get privilege or like benefit from the government. On the contrary, the people like we, we are saying the elite class got the privilege or benefit from the government, but also they receive massive or extreme control and surveillance. And if that is a severe case, and they could be subject to execution and then sent to the local prison camp. But normal people, they don't usually put them in political prison camp. And like, I would say high risk, high return. And I think the misconception was spread out because of some North Korean escapees who describe overly the elite life. Like, you know, some people say, oh, the elite, you know, spend thousand dollars or like even ten thousand dollars a day you know, without hesitation. So I was, when I listened to that story that, oh, that guy's, you know, totally 
lying about your life. So no one would spend that amount of money in one day because they know if the government find out that they could be killed or like executed. I see. I see. And what do North Korean elites typically think about Kim Jong Un? I would say before Kim Jong Un, there are many loyal people among elite group. So that's how Kim Jong Un's father can maintain his authority. But from Kim Jong Un, many elites have doubt on Kim Jong Un because you know we all know Kim Jong Un has not any achievement, and Kim Jong Un. You know, didn't attend the college and didn't attend the、uh, military service, so it doesn't make any sense for people to just listen to him and make him as the、um, you know leader of North Korea. So、um, I would say nowadays more and more people have doubt on Kim Jong Un's you know leadership and capability. So you know, propaganda is very well. Uh, done by the North Korean Workers Party, so still general public believe、uh, Kim Jong Un's leadership, and even many people blame the cadres and officers of the wrong policies and the you know failure of the government. What can you tell us about the rule of Kim Jong Un? How is he different from his father and grandfather? Um. So every leaders in North Korea have a different style of governing. So, for example, Kim Il Sung, the founder of North Korea, he has so much confidence about his, you know, ruling because he's the guy who founded the country, and he has, you know, he fought against the Japanese imperialism, and he fought against、uh, UN and then U.S. military during the Korean War. So he.、Uh, Believe that he had a lot of achievement, and everybody in North Korea believe, you know, so. So, you know, we listened to Kim Il Sung, and then,、uh, I mean, we truly believe Kim Il Sung was the,、um, you know, only leader and god of North Korea, and so he, there was no need for him to make him as a god. So the one who actually make Kim Il Sung god is Kim Jong Il. The Kim Il Sung's son, Kim Jong Un's father, because he wants to maintain his authority. He wants to be、uh, next to king of the society, but he understands that there are so many competition and there are so many, you know,、uh, senior people actually have contributed a lot to the country. So, you know, he wants to make. Very good excuse to become a leader of North Korea because he's a success of the god. So that's how how he built the society, and so Kim Il Sung utilized so many、um, you know resources like you know people and you know、um, knowledge and other resources from China and Russia, and there he even utilized both countries. Like you know, some tact、uh, using tactic, you know, competing tactic、uh, with both countries. So, you know, if Russia provides some you know material, then、um, you know maybe having good relationship with Russia, and then you know he sometimes go to China and then、um, you know ask some material.、Mm-hmm. So, and、um, but the second Kim, the Kim Jong Il, 
um, the guy who's very uh, mysterious guy and he wants to remain as very uh, secret uh, a secret life so he doesn't want to open activity often because um, he wants to be uh, like you know mysterious so um, his the governing style is like uh, call for 50 people designate 50 people of the country and let them run over society so he has a special uh, party called weekend party so the members of weekend party they went to Kim, Kim Jong-il's you know village special village every week and they have a party for two days during the weekend and that party is actually you know core um, you know conference of running the country so he gave direct you know direction to every members you know weekend party member so that's the how that's how Kim Jong run the country but Kim Jong Un is very different and then he needs achievement and then he wants to show something to people so that people can recognize him as a leader but uh, so he leads everything so like Kim Jong-il was you know he was in the back and let people do and then he was controlling everything but Kim Jong-un is trying to do everything at front so you know if you know he did a good job and then he can get the I mean glory you know message from the people but if he failed and then you know people recognize you know his failure so he wants to show people something but he all failed only achievement is missile development development that's why he continued you know developing the uh, missile and nuclear weapons i want to transition and ask you about more of some contemporary topics as we know, Kim Jong-un's father, Kim Jong-il, had his rule blemished by the arduous march, which was a severe famine in the 1990s, where hundreds of thousands of North Koreans died of starvation. In Kim Jong-un's reign right now, it seems to be impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you talk about the effect of COVID-19 on North Korea and the government's response to it and how it affects the ordinary people? Because my understanding is that North Korea says there's no COVID-19 cases in the country. And that is probably not true. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Um, there is uh, COP cases. Uh, there are some COP cases and um, North Korean government trying to cover that. And so at the beginning, I heard that um, North Korean government locked the people in, you know, special uh, play area and then you know just they don't cure them they didn't cure them and you know let them die you know at the spot and so because you know North Korea lacks a lot of uh, medicines and then medical equipments and then there is no process to conduct uh, the therapy and provide the resources for cure so they just you know lock down and then keep people from interacting so you know, for North Korea, Kim Jong Un believed that's the best scenario for him to keep, you know, his well, uh, from the COVID nineteen. And recently, uh, we got uh, resources from people who has internal 
information and it's very similar to much uh, ideas much in 1990s people are starving and then some people in local place they were already um, experienced similar cases in 1990 with 1990s so the only difference is you know, people have you know immune kind of you know experience they already experienced that uh, hardship so they know how to survive but still uh, there are some limitations because the border is locked and there are no more you know material transaction between china and north korea so people have some money and trying to buy and there is no material to buy so only way they can survive is to save and not spend anything you know until the border is open and you know become normal society the next question I want to ask is regarding deals and negotiations uh, with North Korea. Deals and negotiations with North Korea have a tendency to fall apart. Can you tell us how North Korea goes about carrying out negotiations? Is a real deal possible? I think it's a really good question and everybody wants to know about it. Um, especially U.S. government officials and, you know, international community. So... I would say the main reason all the negotiation failing because Kim Jong-un's uh, unwillingness to negotiate with the uh, international community because he doesn't want to denuclearize North Korea. He wants to keep nuclear weapons, he wants to keep authority for a long time. So he doesn't want to negotiate anything about nuclear weapons and human rights and his regime. So he keep mentioning, you know, regime security, which means that he wants the international community and U.S. confirm he's running for the country for a long time. And then that's why he keep mentioning, you know, joint military exercise is the hostile policy against North Korea and mentioning human rights is you know, hostile policy against North Korea. So basically he cannot negotiate with the United States because what we're asking is all these, you know, things in crisis and improve human rights situation. And uh, it's, you know, directly conflict with Kim Jong-un's interest. So I want to say many people keep saying that, oh, we should have negotiation with through low level to the top. And uh, during the Trump administration, they tried top to down, you know, diplomacy, but all failed. So um, I would say nobody uh, can actually make any real deal with North Korea unless Kim Jong-un announce his desire to denuclearize or, you know, announce his retirement of the government. All righty, well, now transition to more current events. So, though largely overshadowed by the current conflict in Ukraine, North Korea has recently carried out several ballistic missile tests, including one that reportedly tested components of the new Hwasong-17 ICBM. How exactly should we interpret these actions, and why do you think North Korea is doing this now? They haven't tested ICBMs in a very long time. I think it, um, there are four reasons North Korean government keep developing you know, missiles and nuclear weapons. First, missile development is the forever project for Kim Jong-un regime. 
and probably uh, he will not stop developing, you know, missile you know, system. If if they achieve one thing and then he wants to try achieve another thing, like you know, maybe he can announce that he wants to um, compete with Elon Musk. So you know, shoot the rocket uh, to the moon or like you know, um, he wants to compete with the SpaceX. And the second reason is Kim Jong Un needs to show something to its people. As we all know, Kim Jong Un failed everything in North Korea. You know, improvement of the people's life and economy and you know farming and everything. But only achievement is missile development. So that's the only achievement for him. And he trying to keep showing people that he's doing something for the country. And the third reason is there is no reason for Kim Jong-un to stop uh, missile and nuclear test. Because, you know, so-called South Korea's progressive government made a deal with North Korea that trying to keep peace between two Koreas. But uh, Kim Jong-un believes that now the leftist government, you know, leave the post. So there's no reason for him to keep the promise. So he just resumed his normal activity. And the fourth reason is he understands that there is no possible uh, responsible option by the U.S. government if he conducts uh, missile tests. So, you know, in the past, we have sanction and, you know, military pressure, which we called maximum pressure, but he built immune system, you know, basically. And I'm sure that this next question might also play a role, so we'll roll right into that one as well. These days, as I'm sure you're aware, at least as of last year or maybe the year before that, there was much concern about Kim Jong-un's health. It seems that his sister Kim Yo-jong is in a prime position to take his place should he become incapable of leading North Korea. What should we expect to happen if Kim Jong-un dies, and do you think there will be a smooth transition of power? Of course, if Kim Jong-un um, faces a health issue and if there is something unexpected, Kim Jong-un's death, I mean, there will be uh, power transition. And I agree that Kim Yo-jong plays a significant role in North Korea, but I would not consider Kim Yo-jong as the next successor of the country for two reasons. First reason is uh, North Korea is very, you know, man-centered country. So they don't even consider women as the leader of North Korea. And the second reason is Kim Yo-jong also doesn't have any achievement and she didn't uh, show any leadership capability. So I'm afraid that nobody, you know, regard her as the next successor of the country. I would say Kim Jong-un's father might be the possible one because he's not known to the country yet. And then um, he's a guy and he is a brother of Kim Jong-un. So, you know, if something happened to Kim Jong-un and then he might be the next success of the country. Of course, if Kim Jong-un's son is, you know, old enough, and then Kim Jong-un's son could be next successor. Just a quick clarification for our listeners. When we say Kim Jong-un's brother, we are referring to Kim Jong-un's other brother, Kim Jong-chul, not Kim Jong-nam, who was assassinated in Malaysia several years ago. Kim Jong-chul is still alive and currently living in North Korea. 
So I want to know, <clears throat> and we're all aware that China is North Korea's main ally. Do you have any insights to how China is supporting the Kim regime? Is North Korea really self-sufficient, or are they totally dependent on China's generosity? In the past, we considered China as like a blood ally to North Korea, but China officially mentioned, you know, they are not blood ally anymore. So they don't military exercise together, and then they don't keep military agreement. So it looks like you know strong ally, but it's very superficial, and China doesn't want North Korea collapse. So they just you know provide the very basic and minimum resources to North Korean regime to run. So you know in the past there are so many ways China supported North Korean regime uh, with the officially providing oils and you know materials, but nowadays most of them are sanctioned by the international community. So there are some ways China is still. Um, helping North Korean regime, for example, they provide a you know stage for like North Korean IT workers to work in China. So, you know, as far as I know, there are several thousands of North Korean IT workers in China, but they haven't returned back to North Korea yet. And then their task or mission is you know they have a dual mission. They work as an IT worker, you know, working with some, you know, program working. But uh, on the other hand, they are also hackers. So when North Korean government give them assignment, they become as a hacker. So you know, they do. They are doing both things. But Chinese government knows the work they are doing, but they don't expel them from China. And another uh, resources the Chinese government provide is. There are still,、uh, as far as I know, fifty thousand North Korean workers in China as well. They're supposed to, you know, go back to North Korea, but the Chinese government haven't sent them back yet. And this is another reason North Korean government blocked the border so that the North Korean workers cannot, you know, back to North Korea so that they can keep making money for the regime in China. So their visas are expired. And Chinese government supposed to expel them to country, but they still、uh, let them work in China without, you know, visas. So that's another way. And、um, obviously, North Korea and China has a long border, so there are so many smuggling operation is happening. But the Chinese foot patrol and the Chinese government, you know, not stopping the smuggling operation. These are the ways the Chinese government support North Korean government. So a theme that you've mentioned throughout this podcast is that Kim Jong Un has no achievements to show for his rule at the moment. So what is his ultimate goal? Like, what does he wish to achieve for North Korea other than you know having a strong missile force? I think his ultimate goal is to、um, keep his you know kingdom forever. You know, make the the Kim family kingdom, and then his long term goal is to run the Korean Peninsula under his term, and his short term goal is you know to make a favorable environment to unify Korea by his force. The reason I'm saying this because you know North Korea is threatening by South Korea because the prosperous South Korea is real threat to North Korea. 
if North Korean people find out the South Korean society and if they ask North Korean regime to make North Korea as the same society with freedom and prosperity, and then Kim Jong-un will face a strong resistance and then, you know, threat by the people. So that's why he locked the country and blocked the information from the outside. So he kept people ignorant and uneducated. But we are sending more information and people keep access, you know, for information. They are, you know, now equipped with knowledge. So they are more and more educated. So that's another, uh, one of the main threats to Kim Jong-un. So he wants to unify Korea, you know, very soon. And he believes that that's the only way he can show his achievement to people and to keep the regime forever. Alrighty, and this will be our last question. Especially during the Moon Jae-in years, there are a lot of questions about possible reunification with North Korea. Can you talk about what are the North Korean views on reunification with South Korea? And do you think it would ever be possible for Korea to be unified under the cur current political climate? For North Korea, it's very clear. The unification should be done by North Korea's agenda and North Korean government's um, ruling which means that Kim Jong-un should be the top leader of the Korean Peninsula. And uh, I understand the, North, uh, the South Korean government's efforts to be a um, coexistence of, to Korea and then like, you know, trying to keep the peace. But um, I would say the, the leftist government's effort is uh, they are all failed because they didn't understand what they are trying to do and what they want to achieve in, um, in North Korea. So what I'm saying is they're trying to provide Kim Jong-un's authoritarian regime to let them run the country. But I think that's one of the failure they uh, miscalculated because the reunification cannot be happened uh, with two systems. So if you want to be unified and you have one system, I don't see any cases that two different systems can be united as a one country. We all know Hong Kong and China, it looks like they are very um, compatible, but later we found out that one, you know, occupied another. And obviously, um, the Hong Kong's freedom is in danger. And I don't want to see the same, you know, scenario in South Korea too. So I think South Korean people should realize that the coexistence won't be possible and co you know cooperation with North Korea is impossible too because we North Koreans all know that economic cooperation is not possible because we are not having market economy in North Korea. But South Korean you know government and South Korean business entities keep trying to influence them. But North Korean government have all the majors to prevent those influences. So they don't think, you know, unification as the uh, possible scenario for right now. And North Korea's unification scenario is only when US military is out of the country, and then they will think about unification by force or like in by threaten, something like that. Hyunsung, thank you so much for joining us. Your insight as someone very familiar with the North Korean regime is extremely valuable. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Indo-Pacific Affairs Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the interview. 
You can engage with our interviewees, authors, and others via our Twitter feed, at journal underscore Indo. You can also interact with us on the Journal of Indo-Pacific Affairs Facebook and LinkedIn sites.